Some of you this morning, you knew that we were going to have church because you got on the Facebook, didn't you? Raise your hand if that was you. You got on, yup, I knew it. Four, four of you. <laughs> Just so you know, like 8.30 service, pretty much everybody in the room raised their hand. Uh, last service, I'd say a quarter of the people were getting less and less. Finally, you guys just decided, yeah, we're having church, right? So you just came anyway. Um, no, but I know there's a lot of people who are so good at Facebook, like they're on Facebook all the time. Some of you, you're like constant. You're on there. If you haven't friended me yet, just, you know, I'll friend you back. If you want to friend me, I promise I'll friend you. And if you message me on the messenger, because this is how I type, I'll, I'll message back. I'm real good at messaging back, but you're going to be so ashamed of me when you become friends, because you're going to become friends with me. And then you're going to look at my Facebook game, and you're going to go, Billy, you're weak. You're so weak. You never update. And when you do update, it's like, hey, there's another picture of church. Hey, there's a picture of your dog. Hey, there's a picture of your cup of coffee. It's wimpy. I know. I, I used to be amazing. I used to be so on top of it. I'm just distracted now. And so some of you, like, you moved, though, right? You went from Facebook over to the Instagram. And like, I look at your Instagram and your Instagrams are amazing. And you do the story thing and all kinds of really creative photos from really weird wonky angles. And it's amazing. And you're going to friend me on Instagram and you're going to go, your Instagram game is weak, Pastor Billy. Like it's pathetic. Like you don't even try. And here's why. Because in the evenings when we're watching the shows and I'm not really watching the show because I'm on my phone, I get on Zillow. Anyone else with me? Zillow. Yup. Okay. So you know what I'm talking I'm not even looking for a house. I mean, I'm trying to redo my kitchen floors. And so soon I might be looking for a house because I'm about to throw a hammer through the floor, but I'm really not looking for a house. Like I'm, I'm happy with my house. Like I like my house, but I'm still all the time. Like I'm looking at houses. I'm like, Oh, look at that one. That kitchen's cool. And isn't it true for those of you who look at houses? Like you kind of know after a little bit what to expect. Like, so you, you pull up the house and you're like, oh, that was built 40 years ago. And when you look at the house that was built 40 years ago, you know kind of what the inside's going to look like, don't you? Here's kind of the size of the kitchen that I'm going to look at. Here's kind of the height of the ceiling or the lack thereof. Here's kind of, right? So you're, you're just, you know what you're getting into. The only question is, did you update that olive green refrigerator or not? You know, that's your only question. And then if you look, okay, it was built 10 years ago. You know kind of what you're getting into. And true, every now and then, every now and then you're going to be on your phone and you're looking at it and you're going to look at the picture and then you look at the square footage and you go, right? You can't do one of those double takes because you're like, no, no, there's no way. I'm looking at the square footage and I'm looking at that little bitty thing and there's no way that thing has that square, no way. And so what do you do? You start flipping through the pictures, don't you? And then when you look through the pictures, you go, oh, okay, okay, all right. I'm seeing it, right? You're like, there was so much more to that house than what I first thought. Here's why I mention all that. We're coming out of a week right now where the whole church has been focused on prayer and fasting. And I've talked to enough of you to know that so oftentimes Christians will approach prayer in a way where you end up saying there's so much more than I imagined. There's so much more there than I thought was there. Because we're real used to praying those uh, materialistic type prayers, aren't we? Like, well, we're good at those. We know those prayers that say, Lord, I love you, and I thank you for Jesus, and I thank you for my salvation in Jesus, and uh, Lord, I got this promotion coming up. A promotion means more money, and money is, and I know money doesn't buy happiness, but Amy played a song for me, 
And um, the song said, you know, the money doesn't buy happiness or whatever, buy, buy, but it buys a boat and it buys a truck to pull it, right? You guys know the song? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that was ridiculous. <laughs> Amy goes, we're in Romeo, yes! That was ridiculous, y'all. Like three quarters of you go, yeah? <laughs> yeah. All right, so she played that song for it. Anyway, so then you're praying, and you're like, I want the boat and the truck to pull it. And, and you're like, in Jesus' name, because that's going to help. Amen. <laughs> right? And so we're real used to praying these kind of prayers. But kind of where I'm going today is, what if there's so much more to it? And what if you've been seeing that much of prayer? I, I wish, I'm telling you, I wish that I could spend about seven weeks talking about this one topic that I have today. Like, that's how much time I have but if we had seven weeks, I mean, we could just walk right through the Lord's Prayer and see how Jesus taught us to pray. And there is a line, isn't there? Give us this day our daily bread. So there is a space where we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, there are needs that we have. And we're trusting you to provide those needs and to help meet those needs. Lord, we need you to work on our behalf to meet those needs. But there are six other lines of that prayer that so oftentimes we skip. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to approach today with the thinking that we're kind of all on the same page, and I, I know this is so hard to do, but it's because I have one day to do this. I'm going to approach it from the standpoint that all of us in here, we know how to go to the Lord when someone is sick, and we know how to go to the Lord when we're having relational struggles, or we know how to go to the Lord when we're having financial struggles. We, we know how to go to the Lord for those things, but this is that house that like there's so much more to it than what you even realize. This this is that type of prayer. Let's call those spiritual prayers. That's what we're going to call them today, spiritual prayers. And it brings us to our big idea. A spiritual prayer are, are those prayers that increase our delight in God. They're the prayers that increase our delight in God. So the first thing that we're going to see, Paul's giving instruction to this church in Ephesus. And we're going to see three different things that Paul points out. The first is that we need to pray to receive the Spirit's illumination. Pray to receive the Spirit's illumination. So before I go any further, let me set the stage. Because here's what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about how Paul was writing to this church in Ephesus. Meaning, he's not writing to an individual like later when he writes to Timothy. He's not writing to an individual. He's not writing to culture. So this isn't intended for the whole community around us. He's writing to oh, people just like us. Right? Just writing to a church. So he's writing this letter to this church, and he says before the foundations of the world, he's like, let me tell you about God's grace. Before the foundations of the world, God spoke. Before anything happened, God spoke, and Jesus came. When Jesus came, church, he came and he redeemed us. He purchased us by his blood on the cross. He bought us out of slavery, right? That's what happened through faith in Christ. We get this right standing with God to where then we're adopted. We're called sons and daughters of the Most High. And then Paul tells us then we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, how did he know all that was true? How did he know that's who they were? Because before he ever gets to tell them what he expects of them, and he does get there, before he says, this is what I want from you, before he gets there, he says, let me tell you who you are who you are, who you have already been, who you are. Let me go back to that. So how did he know? Well, he knows. We're going to go to the Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Ephesians 1, 15. We know, 
And this is where, guys, just put a bookmark right there in Ephesians because we're going to be here for like 12 or 13 more weeks. So keep your bookmark right there. Ephesians 1.15. We know because he says that their faith and their love. Look at this, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he says your trust in Jesus is strong. Your love for the church is strong, and that's evident. And so then he's basically like, so I'm not, I'm not going to write this to you like you're strangers. Like I, I'm writing this to you like you're, you're family. And that changes, doesn't it? Like you can pray for those in Australia, and it can be a very heartfelt prayer of the trial and the tragedy that they're going through, of the firefighters who are putting their lives on the line. Right? We can be in prayer for the the wildfires all throughout Australia, but it's different when you're praying for your mom or your dad, isn't it? Your son, your dad. When you're praying for family, it just changes the dynamic. Paul, all of a sudden, is telling them, I'm viewing you as family, and based on that, here's my prayer. So this is where we need to really zone in because he's telling his specific prayer for spiritual blessing. He says, verse 17, my prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So brand new year, 2020. We're right in the middle of January, this brand new year. You want to hear something that absolutely can bring revival and renewal to your heart? It's right here. This verse and a half, really, I guarantee you is the verse that can bring revival and renewal to your heart. Because he starts out by saying we're praying to God. More specifically, God who is glorious, who is our Father, who is the God of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, I'm praying that he gives you his spirit. Now, those of you who've been around church for a little bit, you're kind of going, time out. Give us his spirit. We already had the spirit, right? We've been sealed. Didn't he just say that? Paul just literally just wrote that, that they've been sealed with the spirit. As Christians, we've received the Holy Spirit. So why would he pray for the, here's why. He's wanting to see the footprint of the Spirit expand in their lives. He wants to see that footprint expand. And more specifically, he says, with wisdom and with revelation. See, let me go back to that footprint thing. Because, see, Amy, Amy and I got married June 4th, 1994. Now, you don't need to add it up. That's a little over 25 years ago now. June 4th, 1994, we became husband and wife. Which means June 5th, one day later... We were husband and wife. I am no more her husband today than I was on June 5th, right? No more her husband. She's no more my wife. We are still husband and wife. Here's the difference. If you fast forward like 10 days from June 4th to June 14th, right? So get past the honeymoon. Now we're, we're back home. When we're back home, <laughs> the footprint was pretty funny because we were just trying to figure out how to do the dishes, right? We were having some conflict on how do you load the dishwasher properly. I was looking around the house going, why are there shoes all over the living room? Like everywhere. There's shoes everywhere in my living room. Why is this how we're living? Like who did this? And of course, there's only two of us living in the house, right? So the footprint was trying to figure out how to live in that tension. 25 years later, I'm going to tell you the footprint of Amy has expanded on my life. In fact, listen to the sermon today. Guys, she's impacted how I preach. 
She impacts how I love. She impacts what I think about. She impacts what I'm passionate about. She impacts what I spend my time on. She impacts our, our evenings, the television shows we watch, the fact that I watch a television show in the evening. Like, she impacts everything about me to the point that I would say, you cannot know me unless you know her. You can't. You cannot know me unless you know her. That's that's what Paul's praying for this church in Ephesus. He wants the footprint of the Holy Spirit to expand in their lives, especially when it comes to wisdom and revelation. Wisdom. Let me, let me walk through those two real quick, wisdom and revelation, because they're, they're different. Wisdom, wisdom's not smartness. It doesn't mean more smartness, right? I need to get smarter. I need to go to seminary if I want to know the Bible more, and they'll make me smarter. If I get seven PhDs, seven PhDs, I might have encyclopedic knowledge of the Word of God. Doesn't make you wise, does it? Because wise is different. Wise is when you take the things of God and you look around and you see all the fibers of the world at work and you see God at work in all those fibers and you know how to apply the Word of God to your life. That's where wisdom is. Wisdom is knowing what to do with that knowledge. Here's another way. So I thought about giving you a really funny illustration right now, but honestly, I think this is the very best illustration because some of you are going through it today. Imagine with me that you're looking at the Word of God and you see truth and you see grace. And you look in your life and maybe you've got a friend like this. Maybe this is your world right now. But there's this child and this child is very rebellious. And this child is fighting depression. And so you're trying to figure out how this works. Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is being able to go to that child who's been rebellious and who's fighting depression and say, let me tackle the depression and being able to look at them and explain the love of God by loving them that way, by showing them grace and by saying to them, I love you. So nothing you're going to do is going to make me love you more. Nothing you're going to do is make me going to love you less. You're not going to lose my love. Like that's what grace is. You can't earn it. I'm giving you my love. I'm giving it freely. Like I completely love, completely love you. That's grace, church. But here's truth. Truth is when you say your actions aren't okay. You're going to be accountable to God for these actions. Their actions are rebellious. They're not okay. See, that's wisdom. And let me just tell you, some of these issues that we deal with in life, they are not easy to deal with. And I think sometimes, and this is on me, sometimes... We open up the Word of God, and we almost act like, oh, well, here's all you got to do. You're going through trials in life. Just do it. Just have faith in God, and that's just supposed to fix everything. But sometimes it's kind of tough, isn't it, church? Sometimes it's hard. All the time it's hard. And so that's where wisdom comes in, and that's what Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus, that they would have wisdom, that they would know how to apply the truths of the Word of God. And then he prays for revelation, you know what that is? That's when you can read the Bible. I'm in a reading plan with some of you. We're reading through the whole Bible in a year. And a reading plan with some others where we're working through happiness right now. And it's so easy, right, to open up your YouVersion Bible app and to go, okay, Genesis chapter 12, next, right? So easy. We read it, and you might really read the words, but that's not Revelation, Revelation is that thing when you've read through a verse 20 times and all of a sudden you read it and, and it's like someone pulls the cover off your eyes and you go, oh my goodness, did you see this? It's been there the whole time. This is so awesome. It's that time when you look in the mirror and you realize you've been through some junk in your life and the Lord has been so faithful through all of it, but you've been through the stuff and then you've got this friend and they have a loved one who's passed away. 
And in your prayer life, you're just going, Lord, I don't, I don't know what to say to him. I don't know what to do. I, I, don't, I don't really know how to be there. And you open up your Bible, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 3, and you read, blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction. And all of a sudden, it's like, I can see. I don't know why I've read that verse so many times and missed it, but I can see. And that's when you go to the friend. You go to the friend and you say, I don't want to give you a whole lot of platitudes and, and empty words. I just want you to know this. Uh, I, I read Second Corinthians, and I just feel the need to share this with you. Second Corinthians 1, 3 reminded me that I've been where you are. I, I know what that sting feels like. I know what it feels like to be in the valley of the shadow of death. And, and it hurts. But I can tell you this. I can tell you that the Holy Spirit brought a peace that transcends all understanding. So I want you to know you're not alone. I'm here. If you need prayer, I'm here. Regardless, I'm praying alongside you through all of this. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference when you have wisdom and when you have revelation, how it changes everything? And do you see the difference between that and the boat and the truck to pull it? Like it's a whole different level of prayer. This is exposing. It's that house where there's so much more to it. It's where you say, oh my goodness. And Paul says, it's having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. That's what it means. Having the Eyes of our hearts enlightened. Then Paul goes on and he says, you know, our heart is interesting. Scripture talks a lot about the heart, doesn't it? Scripture talks a lot. In fact, here's just a few things that I wrote down that Scripture says about the heart. It says our hearts are deceitful, faint, dull, wicked, sad, easily swayed, divided, proud, hard, tumultuous, crooked, anguished, bitter, angry, stubborn, unbelieving, and unforgiving. That just gets us started, right? That's our hearts. So you think when our hearts are in that condition, we might need a little bit of light. That's what Paul's praying. Paul's praying is in that spot that the Holy Spirit comes, that his footprint expands, that our hearts are enlightened in that place. Because he says it's when your hearts are enlightened that you're going to be blessed, right? That's where you're going to experience this spiritual blessing. Verse 18 and 19, he goes through three of them. Verse 18, he says the blessing will be what is the hope to which God has called us. Again, back before the foundation of the world, God has called us to a hope. When we talked about earlier, we place our hope in everything. We place our hope in, am I going to get that raise? We place our hope in, is our football team going to be good enough? We place our hope in, am I going to get that date? We put, right? We place our hope in all these temporary places. I got this degree. I got this thing. I got that. What, all these temporary places is where we often place our hope. And what's Paul remind us? Paul reminds us that before the foundation of the world, God spoke so that we could have eternal freedom. Eternal freedom means forever freedom. Forever freedom of what? Forever freedom from these temporary things that bind us up. This eternal freedom from sin and from death. That's the hope that we have. And then he continues in verse 18 and says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Do you realize that phrase? That's a game changer. That's a game changer because up until this point, Israel was the chosen people of God. True? Israel is a chosen people. In fact, back in Exodus, it says this, Exodus 19.5, God's calling Israel to himself. Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession 
among all peoples. And so God literally says, you are my inheritance, Israel. But then here in Ephesians, he opens it up to all nations, every tribe, every tongue, anyone who's placed their faith in Jesus. And then finally to verse 19, back to these spiritual blessings, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So Paul wants us to know the blessings we have. We have hope. We have inheritance. We have power. And power moves us to our second point today, which is we need to pray to experience the power of the resurrection. Let's pick back up in verse 18. Paul says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? So Paul says, there are spiritual blessings that you have. The hope that we have, this is past tense, right? So the hope is, is the past. The inheritance, that's the future. And can I just tell you, so many of us were guilty at getting caught up in both those spots. Some of you, you can't get over the, the hurt of yesterday, Right? The hurt of last year, the hurt of five years ago, like we just, we just live in that past so often. Uh, some of you, it's the opposite. You're living in the future, right? You're looking forward so far all the time. You're looking forward to the future that you miss the present. And what do we have in the present? Paul says there is a power that we have in the present. A power, there's four words in the original Greek that Paul uses to talk about power. The words literally translate power, energy, might, and strength. So another way to read this same verse would be this. I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe according to the energy of his might and strength. So Paul's saying, expanding that footprint thing, Paul's saying, I want you to experience the power. Not just to know it's a thing, but to experience it. I think sports is the easiest way to illustrate this. Uh, we could debate, like greatest basketball player of all time. We'll never agree, right? We'll all disagree on it, um, even though it's Jordan, and we all know it's Jordan. But today, <laughs> today, if we were talking about it, there's quite a few people who would say, well, we could just argue LeBron is one of the best, right? We could say that. And I mentioned LeBron because I have people that I know who have seen LeBron play live from courtside. I say from courtside because if you're up here in the rafters and your nose is bleeding because you're so far up there, like you're watching him on the TV. It's the same as home, right? But it's different when you're on the floor because you're looking up and you're like, all of these guys, all of them, they're six foot six, six foot ten. Like they're humongous. And so to see these humongous guys going up and down the court and to see LeBron dominating like I'm sitting on the, I can't even imagine. They're like, Billy, you got it. Like you're sitting there and LeBron's going, it doesn't even look like the guy's trying. And every now and then they make him mad, you know, and you don't want to make LeBron mad because then he takes the floor and just mashes it. And the, you know, and the power, or back in the day, it was Tiger in golf, wasn't it? Tiger, when we lived in Arizona, I had some buddies who, Tiger has one of his houses in the Tucson area and he'll fly in, he'll go to the golf course. And they're like, yeah, man, I followed Tiger around on some of the tours, and that guy, it's like, it seems like he barely tries, but the sound of his club head slicing through the air, and then when he collides with that ball, they're like, it just takes off like a rocket, 
And they're like, you know, but like when we hit it, like the ball just kind of goes up and floats and lands. Nope. When he hits it, it's like burning right across the ground for a while, like an airplane taking off. And then it shoots up and it kind of does this nice little curve and lay perfectly wherever he wants it. You know, power and precision, wherever he wants it. It's like effortless. Or we can talk about tennis. Let's say Serena Williams was serving the ball, but you're not in the stands. You're not even the ball boy or ball girl. Put yourself holding the tennis racket. Yeah, getting ready to return her serve. Not even her winding up, giving it everything. I'm just talking her, her serve. She's just serving the ball to you. That's all she's doing. Just serving the little ball. I don't want to stand there. She's going to take your head off, right? There's no way she's going to hurt you with that tennis ball. There's a difference in seeing it on TV and knowing there's power and being there in person and experiencing the power. There's a difference. And Paul here is saying, I want you to experience God's power. Look at verse 20. You do not want to miss this. Verse 20, he's talking about the might and strength that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This is incredible. See, Paul is saying so oftentimes what we do is we pray these prayers, Lord, I got this bill, and it's kind of overdue. These temporary things, right? And yes, there is a line in the Lord's Prayer. We should take those prayers to the Lord, but it's one little piece of prayer. And I think so oftentimes we approach life like we've been defeated. And we haven't. We have victory in Christ, right? We approach life sometimes like, man, I just don't know what to do. How am I going to put one foot in front of the other? And did you hear the description that he just gave, the power? Did you hear that? Picture yourself. It's Easter morning, the very first Easter morning. And let's say you're standing in the corner of the tomb. And you're there when the earth begins to shake. And you're right there, front row seat, when that stone is rolled away. And you see the burial cloth of Jesus drop to the ground. And you watch as the most miraculous thing ever happens. All of a sudden, the nostrils of Jesus begins to flare as he starts to suck in air again. That power, the power of the Holy Spirit is alive in you. And that's what Paul's praying. Paul is praying in a way to say, I want you to get this. I want the expansion of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want us to have a wisdom and a revelation. I want you to understand that that power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you, which brings us to our final point today. We want to pray to affirm the church's place in creation. Just the very end, verse 22 and 23, so he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. But go back just real fast, real fast, the verse 20 and 21, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. Did you see what just happened? Paul got distracted if you don't know what just happened. Paul was talking to them saying, let me tell you who you are. You're adopted. 
your sons and daughters of the Most High. He, he showered us with grace before the foundations of the world. And then as he's talking, I'm praying that you receive uh, revelation. I'm praying that you receive wisdom. And then he says, and you do that through the power of Jesus, who, by the way, his name. And then he goes off on this, basically, a, a moment of praise, doesn't he? And, and if you don't quite get it, let me help you get there real fast. I want you to think through Fortune 500 companies. All of them you can name in your mind. And picture their CEOs. Some of you, maybe you can picture one or two. Some of you, maybe a hundred, because that's your world. And so you're like, yeah, I got these guys. I got these girls. Like, I got it. Jesus is above them. That's what Paul just said. Jesus is above them. Picture all the universities you can picture in the world, the greatest universities. You know, Oxford and Cambridge, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, like these great universities. Jesus is above them. Picture the greatest leaders this world has ever seen, political leaders or otherwise. Jesus is above them. Continue outside of our earth, though. The galaxies, the stars, Jesus is above them. Planets that maybe we haven't even discovered yet, Jesus is above them. You could even go into the heavenly beings, right? The fallen angels. Angel, Jesus is above them. And the Bible says that Jesus, who's above all, is handed to the church. He's telling this church in Ephesus, do you understand the prayer that I'm pouring out for you? See, it's more than I'm going to pray for you to have the budget to expand your building Guys, we, we need bigger buildings. That's a good prayer. That's not a bad prayer. Paul's not saying, I'm praying for more parking, because y'all sure need some more parking there, church in Ephesus. I mean, we, we need some parking, but it's bigger than that, isn't it? He's not praying for more attendance. I sure hope more people come. Clearly, Scripture talks a lot about the expansion of the kingdom. It talks all about that. But he says, just for a little bit, I need you to focus in on these spiritual prayers that so oftentimes we ignore is such a powerful part of who we are. He prays for wisdom. He prays for revelation. He reminds us of our power. He reminds us of who we are as a church. So here's what I want to leave you with today. I want to leave you with a bit of a challenge and a reminder. See, Paul's not writing to Timothy here. He's not writing to an individual. He's not writing to culture. He's writing to the church. And so that means that people just like you heard these words from Paul, and they had to figure out, what do we do with this now? And we're kind of in the same boat this morning, aren't we? We're in that boat of saying, now what? What do we do with this? And so here's my challenge to you. Most of you in this room, you're involved in a life group. You um, already have community that you're connected to. Some of you don't. If you don't, I want you to know that starting next week, we're going to have sign-ups, right? We're going to re-engage that conversation and give you that opportunity to jump in and become part of a group. But I just want to encourage your life group to stop this week and have this conversation. What do spiritual prayers look like for us? What's our response to it? Yes, if there's someone sick in our group, we want to pray for that person. But what does it look like for us as a group to pray for wisdom, to pray for revelation, to pray for us to live out of that, that strength that's in us, that power that's in us? How do we do that? Women, we have so many of you involved in Bible study together or serving together. Men, same thing. You have a Bible study you guys do together. You serve together. What does it look like? 
So here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to say, okay, student ministry, you're resuming activities this Wednesday night. All student ministry leaders, you need to meet five minutes early so you can pray spiritual prayers together. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to read the Word of God and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I don't want another checklist for you. I want us to live what Scripture calls us to. So I want you to have that conversation in community. What does this look like? What does it look like, guest service team, when you come in? What does it look like to say, there are people that I do this together with? You see, we, we can pray and fast alone and by ourselves, but Paul's writing this portion to the church. The church at Ephesus had to respond together. We want to do the same. So I want to encourage you to be intentional this week. Be intentional about having conversations together. How do we best live this out? How do we continue to take these steps of faith so that when people see us, they see Christ? Father, we thank you. Again, we thank you for just the grace and the gift of being able to worship this morning because it definitely wasn't a given. It's a gift, and so we thank you. Lord, I do pray for wisdom. I know that in this room right now, there are people who desperately need your wisdom. Lord, they're in situations where they feel like there's no right answer. They just don't know what to do. I just pray that as they're reading your word this week, that it becomes crystal clear how they're supposed to apply truth to their lives. Lord, give us wisdom. Help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Lord, will you give us revelation? I know that we've all got our reading plans that we do. We have our quiet times that we do. We have our studies and our groups that we do. We, Lord, we're in, we're in the Bible. Give us revelation through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Open our eyes and help us to see truth in a fresh way this week. Even those who've been Christians for a long time, faithful disciples to you. Lord, will you just continue to renew their spirits this week? Lord, remind us that we're not victims. We're not defeated. We're victorious through Jesus. We're adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this powerful reminder through your word today of who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.